0: Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 10, verse 10, differing weights and differing measures. Both of them are abominable to the Lord. I'm actually going to speak on uh, really something we covered in the shorter catechism five years ago, and that is uh, the Eighth Commandment. For really what this uh, verse is dealing with is that we shall not defraud other people. We shall not steal. So I thought I would uh, bring this to us tonight. The second table, as uh, we heard this morning in the adult Sunday school, uh, deals with loving our neighbor as ourself. The fifth commandment uh, teaches us to maintain and preserve the honor of our parents as Uh, Young people, we need to respect uh, mom and dad's authority, but also the commandment is larger than just our biological parents, but also all those who are in positions of authority over us includes the civil magistrate, includes teachers, includes uh, pastors, elders in the church, etc. The sixth commandment uh, teaches us to maintain and preserve our neighbor and our own life. And health, the seventh commandment to maintain and preserve our own and our neighbor's chastity. And then the eighth commandment That's what we're going to talk about tonight, that we maintain and preserve our own and our neighbor's property, our own and our neighbor's property, maintaining and preserving our own. Proverbs here is saying that God is displeased when we try to defraud uh, other people, when we try to cheat boys and girls. Uh, other people for our own advantage. Um, I recently experienced this myself, hiring a contractor to do some work and uh, actually uh, paid for the job before it was 100% finished. He needed the money. I said, okay. And then he seemingly has walked away from the rest of the job. Uh, So this is something that... uh, We maybe at one time or another experience in our life what it is to be on the receiving end uh, of being defrauded. But we need to walk closely with the Lord to make certain that we're not defrauding others. The Bible says, boys and girls, that God is the creator of everything. He owns everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God's made everything. It all really belongs to him. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and everything that it contains. We bring, as Job said, nothing into this world and we're not going to carry anything out. There is no hearse or there is no uh, brink's truck behind the hearse, as they say at the funeral. Uh, Naked we came into this world. We shall leave pretty much likewise. God, though, is giving us things, though, in this world, and we need to be good stewards of them. It is his creation, but we have been given things by God according to his providence. Each person uh, here has been given a certain amount of gifts. You have a certain amount of talents. In many cases, you have a certain amount of property. And we are to exercise stewardship over everything that God gives us. Our time, our energies, our strengths, our uh Blessings are all to be stewarded to the glory of God. Now, the Eighth Commandment in general, as well as this uh, verse in particular, verse 10, really is helping to secure the right to private property. That might surprise some. Some people tend to think that Christianity is some kind of a communistic system, that uh, private property is forbidden or something like that. Uh, Some would go to even the book of Acts where they are selling uh, their land and uh, giving it. And I don't know that uh, Luke is telling us that prescriptively, uh, but it is uh, something descriptive. Something uh, extraordinary happened because of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people gave very generously. But it didn't mean that the Eighth Commandment was overthrown. I want to bring you some material, much of it from Puritan Thomas Watson and uh, Thomas Watson uh, gives us many examples here of what it is to defraud others. He starts with pastors, interestingly, pastors who feed themselves, but they do not feed the church. They do not teach the Bible. And this is condemned in Ezekiel chapter 34, where Ezekiel uh, chastises those who are, are fattening themselves. Uh, While the the church is hungry and emaciated. But it applies to others, says Watson, attorneys who steal from clients, guardians of estates who take property from their charges. We can, according to Malachi chapter three, steal from God by withholding the tithe. The Lord is to get the first fruits. We can steal from God by breaking the Sabbath. It's a form of stealing Uh, fornication is to rob a woman of her virginity. Uh, The law required a man to pay the woman's father restitution to increase her dowry if such a thing happened, and the father forbade the man from marrying the daughter. We can steal from others by hurting their property, doing damage, banging into somebody else's car, and then driving away. Uh, We see it when Absalom set Joab's field uh, on fire, uh, did damage to Joab's property. We can also steal from those who are vulnerable, stealing from widows and fatherless. This is particularly egregious to the Lord when we take advantage of other people who may not be in a position uh, to use maybe the law to uh, protect themselves. This is why we're to be concerned about the rights of the poor. The righteous are concerned about the rights of the poor. We should be concerned about uh, protecting them from extortion. And from robbery, because simply because they are poor, may not be able to afford, for example, maybe the best attorneys. We can steal from ourselves, says Watson, through miserliness, robbing ourselves of what God allows. You remember that uh, the New Testament said there were some who forbade the eating of meat, uh, thinking that that somehow was bringing them to a greater sanctification. uh, But really, it wasn't profitable at all. But not only that, we can do it through waste and prodigality, spending our our estate away. So we don't want to be miserly, but we don't want to be spendthrifts either. We can also steal by laziness, idleness. Uh, We can also uh, steal from ourselves by uh, surety, says Watson. Let me give you a quote here from him. He says, lend another what you can spare, nay, give him what he needs, but never be a surety. Never pledge yourself to somebody else's debts. We do have a duty to help our neighbor. Um, In Deuteronomy chapter 22, in the first four verses, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 to 4, Moses says, you shall not see your countryman's ox or his sheep straying away and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly bring them back to your countrymen. And, you know, the Bible says you even do this, even if that person is your enemy. uh, We are to demonstrate love for them by helping uh, their uh, animal that may have run away or maybe has fallen under a load. If your countryman is not near you or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it home to your house and it shall remain with you until your countryman looks for it. And then you shall restore it to him. I remember doing that with a dog that was. Straying, And I knocked on some neighbors, didn't know whose dog this was. Finally, I just put him in my own fence backyard until I found uh, the owner. And we were able to restore the dog back to the owner. Thus you shall do with his donkey and you shall do the same with his garment. You shall do likewise with anything lost by your countrymen. So we can't take advantage of them. If they've lost it, they don't know where it is. uh, You can't say, hey, uh, look what I found, you know. Uh, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Uh, we have to restore it to them. If it's not ours, boys and girls, uh, we need to give it back, even if it was left somewhere, uh, maybe even left in a public place. Uh, you shall not see your countryman's donkey or his ox falling down on the way and pay no attention to them. You shall certainly help him to raise them up. So we are to be concerned uh, with our property and our neighbor's property. Now, The Bible forbids in the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal, uh, all kinds of forms of theft. And I want to talk about some of those forms uh, here tonight. We've seen in the news where people will loot, for example, stores whenever there's some kind of riot taking place. Uh, And we'll see people running in and taking things uh, that do not belong to them. But there's a lot more to stealing than just uh, going into a store and taking things. For example, the Bible, uh, as we heard this morning from Elder Terry Wilson, forbade kidnapping. That is, stealing of people was a capital crime. It deserved the uh, death penalty. Also, it means that we should not receive uh, goods that are stolen. Sometimes you might hear boys and girls people saying, well, I don't know or I don't care where this comes from. That's your business, they say. And the reason uh, that that is not a valid excuse is because the property might be stolen. And we should care uh, that we not receive stolen goods. Um, I talked to somebody who is or was in the uh, pawn shop business. And apparently uh, pawn shops have a list that is kept uh, by the the, the the police, give them of uh, things that have been reported as stolen, and they are not supposed to retain these things or sell these things if it comes into their store. Uh, they they are to be they are held responsible by the law uh, not to be trading in stolen goods. Um. Fraud. Which we see here, I think, more clearly in our text. Differing weights and differing measures. What are these differing weights and measures? Um, these are where uh, um, there is an attempt to defraud people uh, by a, a form of stealing, by giving different kinds of measurements. Um, for example, uh, you know, the, in the, the old way of defrauding in the bar was, of course, to water down the drinks. Uh, that would be a form of fraud. But it's where you know that there's something defective in the transaction, but you're covering it up. And uh, the, the principle, let the buyer beware, is not really a scriptural principle uh, for us. Uh, we, we need to be uh, upfront with any of the defects when we are selling to others. Uh, we don't try to hide it from them and Hope that uh, well maybe they'll find out you know down the road uh, and 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 it will cost them something. I know I experienced this with my previous house. I uh, bought a house you'll remember that uh, ended up having sinkholes. Well, that was something that the builder knew would happen over time, and that it would cost whoever bought the house money to have to fix that. That was that was that, that that was something that was known. Uh, that would happen. They, they, What they did is they backhood a big hole, and I mean big. It was like World War I trench size, you know, and would just pile in all kinds of trees and stuff that they had cut down. And when the trees rotted, well, the, the ground began to sink with it. And so uh, you had these huge foxholes uh, that were created because of that. The county did eventually uh, outlaw that, and I think that was fair um, because it, it was, a, I think, a form of fraud, trying to sell a property to people that looked one way, but in years to come would look very differently, and they knew it would based on what they had done. Amos chapter 8 and Hosea 12 uh, also uh, condemned false weights and measures. Merchants would use these different weights and balances. Uh, when they were selling, they would use lighter weights and heavier ones when they were buying. Uh, I think there's an application to inflation, that inflation uh, is cheapening the value of the dollar and so that the dollar is uh, not what it once was. It's not that goods are necessarily becoming more expensive. You realize that, don't you? It's that your dollar is worth less than it used to be. Um, it, in many ways, what you buy today is cheaper than what it used to cost you. It's cheaper in many ways to get. Uh, a quality car than it used to be, and a uh, quality house is cheaper. We we build lots of stuff that's actually cheaper, but it seems like it's more expensive uh, because the dollar has been devalued. Uh, Removing of and moving of landmarks also was a form of fraud. Deuteronomy chapter 19 says you shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark That is, you you didn't uh, move the the line, the property line, boys and girls, so that your property got bigger at the expense of somebody else's property. Uh, You should not move your neighbor's boundary mark, which the ancestors have set in your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives gives you to possess. So it was uh, injustice to move it. It was unfaithfulness in contracts and matters of trust. Uh, Psalm 37 condemns the borrower who has no intention of paying back. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. Also uh, defrauding others by way of oppression. People who have uh, power, who have connections and use it to defraud others. You can think of Ahab and Jezebel. What did they do? Well, they had uh, power as king and queen in Israel And what did they do? Well, they contracted with some wicked men to have Naboth murdered. Uh, They did it kind of judicially. They used the law, uh, but they falsely accused Naboth of blaspheming the Lord, which was a capital crime. And of course, Naboth never did that. And the reason, boys and girls, that they did this to Naboth, you'll remember, is that King Ahab coveted uh, Naboth's property. He wanted his vineyard. And Naboth said, no, this is my family's inheritance. And I'm not going to sell my my right to the land, to the inheritance that God has given me and my family. And so he said no to King Ahab and uh, Jezebel had uh, Naboth murdered uh, because of it. Um, I remember a car salesman once telling me that uh, he. He worked uh, for a car company now that has gone to, uh, to where everybody pays the same thing for a car. And, uh, and he said, you know, he felt as a Christian that this was much better because he used to see people who weren't as business savvy were taken advantage of uh, by car dealerships. And so that those who were less skilled in negotiating often paid more. Uh, he said sometimes uh, people who were of a minority would pay more. Uh, For the car, same car that somebody else uh, would pay for. This is a form of uh, robbery. It's defrauding uh, people, making some people uh, pay more simply because they're less skilled in negotiating uh, contracts than other people. Also, uh, extortion, uh, holding back wages that are due from employees. Remember, James condemns this. Uh, People had moaned the lawns and and had gone into the fields and had harvested the fields but hadn't been paid yet. Uh, This is a form of extortion, holding uh, wages over people. Also, we see uh, the Bible condemns usury. Now, this is somewhat controversial, um, but I think John Calvin is very helpful in this area as to what is usury. Uh, Some people have the notion that usury is making money money. Uh, uh, from interest on anything that is lent. And Calvin says that he doesn't believe that that is actually what the Bible is condemning. What the Bible is condemning here is taking advantage of people in great need and charging them interest for that. Calvin made a a distinction between interest on uh, needed money that was lent for the purpose of business or consumption. That is, Calvin viewed that Interest on business or consumer loans was okay, but that interest loaned uh, for great necessity was a form of usury. And I think this is something we should think about as reformed Christians. Um, there, there are businesses that I do think may be taking advantage of people who find themselves in a real, uh, crunch financially and are, are forced to pay uh, very large uh, sums of interest uh, on loans. Uh, and and some of those businesses, uh, I suspect, are even here in town. Uh, bribery, uh, condemned, uh, vexous, uh, vexatious lawsuits, suing people uh, excessively, uh, unjust enclosures and depredation. Uh, this is one that, I think um, we should be concerned about I think that um, the Supreme Court not too many years ago ruled in favor of a particular city. It was the city of New London, Connecticut, and the case that was before the court was that the city had exercised eminent domain. Now, the government uh, can, according to the Constitution, exercise eminent domain for a public good. But here in this case, it, there was not a direct hard line connection between the eminent domain exercised by the town and the public good. It was simply rather that they were able, they thought, to derive more economic benefit uh, and rejuvenation by seizing private property that they thought could be used to give to businesses that would and in, and eventually pay more in taxes. And that is not what eminent domain was supposed was originally created to do. In this particular case, one of the chief beneficiaries of the eminent domain was the Pfizer Corporation. That is, the city seized people's uh, private property, forcing them to give it up at a, a certain set price set by the city, and then it was given over to the Pfizer Corporation because they, the argument was, well, this is for the public good because the Pfizer Corporation will make better use of this property and they'll, they'll end up paying more in taxes, which will lead to the betterment of the community uh, in general. And unfortunately, I think the court made a mistake here in, in favoring uh, that decision. Nine years later, those lots that had been seized were still vacant. The Pfizer Corporation actually left the community of uh, New London, Connecticut. I think really what we see, um, what should have been done was what was done in Rockefeller Plaza. If you've ever been to New York and you go to Rockefeller Plaza, you'll see that Rockefeller wanted to build this particular building there, and there were two uh, townhouses that said, "No, we're not going to sell." And so uh, Rockefeller just had to build around them, and, and uh, because it was their property, and he he tried to you know get the, the, the buy the property, but he didn't exercise you know, eminent domain in order to seize the property on the on the basis that, hey, you know, Rockefeller Plaza will pay more in taxes ultimately to the city of New York than uh, these two townhouses are. And uh, so I think there's reason for concern um, based on recent court cases. Uh, I'll let you talk to our own attorney here uh, for more details. He's probably able to do it uh, better than I could. But I, I do think we need to think about that also as Reformed Christians, as we try to apply scriptural principles to the public square. Um, I think there's reason for concern on that issue. Also, engrossing uh, commodities uh, to enhance the price, uh, monopolizing cornering market in order to create distortions in the market that are in your favor. Um, The Eighth Commandment forbids the inordinate prizing and affecting of worldly goods. Again, God gives us things to enjoy, but we may not inordinately enjoy them, if you will. We may not uh, set our hope on them. The Bible says that we should not set our hope on riches, for they will make as wings and fly away. But our hope always should be in God. And, and as the Apostle Paul said, whether I am in plenty or whether I am in want, uh, that I will uh, put my trust in the Lord. If I, I will be content. If I have clothing and uh, I have raiment and food, I'll be content. The Eighth Commandment also forbids the distrustful and distracting cares and studies in getting, keeping, and using worldly goods. That is, if we're spending too much time in trying to get more, 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 and we're neglecting other things, neglecting our families, neglecting God, neglecting our Bibles, neglecting prayer. Then we have an inordinate and distracting uh, cares and we need to uh, back off on that. We also should not take any action for which we cannot ask for the blessing of God. Um, if, if, if it is a questionable practice, and we can't in good conscience ask God to bless it, then we should not do it. The Bible says, what does it profit us if we gain the whole world and we end up losing our soul? We spend eternity in hell under the wrath and condemnation of God forever in a place of fire and darkness. And what will that little gain seem like in in the 70, 80 years we live compared to billions and billions of years in eternal punishment? We should not envy at the prosperity of others and also Proverbs, as we've seen in uh, Chapter 18, earlier, several weeks ago, idleness is also forbidden by the Eighth Commandment. Uh, he who is idle is akin to him who destroys, Proverbs 18:9. Also prodigality, wasteful spending. Let me give you a quote here again from Thomas Watson. Watson says, we may not be sinfully spending nor sinfully sparing. We should not be sinfully spending nor sinfully sparing. That is, we shouldn't spend too much. But we also shouldn't hold back too much what we could give. Also, the confession, the Westminster Confession and larger catechism uh, condemn wasteful gaming, um, and and there is a disagreement some as to whether this means all gambling or matter as a matter of principle or whether the gambling that is excessive and wasteful. Uh, now, what are what are the duties here for us here? If God does not like fraud and uh, condemns it according to the eighth commandment, what should we do positively? Well, let me give you a few uh, practical points here before we close. Number one, we need to work. Let every man eat his own bread. Second Thessalonians 312. Uh, we, we should uh, be busy. The six days God gives us every week. We should be doing our duty. Uh, and that we should be providing for ourselves, our family, and our neighbors. Uh, we're to provide, we, we, are, we are to seek profit, not just for ourselves, but for the good of others. The devil, uh, this I guess I'm, I, I'm assuming this is Watson again. I don't have it cited here, but I have it in quotation marks. The devil hires those who stand idle. He said, the devil hires those who stand idle. So we should work. Secondly, uh, restitution. Uh, If we have defrauded people in the past, it's not enough just to ask God for forgiveness. We need to do what we can to restore what was taken from others. So, for example, in Luke chapter 19, which we'll uh, get to here in uh, several weeks, we see Zacchaeus. What was the true proof of his repentance? It was that he was willing to pay back those that he formerly may have defrauded. Thirdly, giving and lending freely—that we are to give and we are to lend. Uh, let him who has two coats, you know, give to him the brother who has none, if he be in need. Number four, we be moderate in our judgments, our wills, our affections concerning worldly goods. We show moderation, you know. That's a not a bad word. It's probably moderation's come under hard times. I think people. A moderate is considered a bad thing sometimes. But here I think it's something that is good. It's actually one of the uh, words that is a part of our motto as a state, uh, that moderation. Uh, and that is that we be content. We learn contentment uh, and we not be inordinate. Number five, being a good steward of things necessary and convenient for our nature. You know, boys and girls, um, one of the ways that God will bless you in the future with uh, more things is that you show yourself to be responsible with the things that you have. That if you will take care of the things that God presently has you doing and and the things God has presently given you, then there's reason to expect that he will add to your blessings. If we're unfaithful and little, uh, we may find that, We will not be faithful in much. And so we need to learn to be good stewards of what we have right now. Take care of the responsibilities that we have, even if uh, those responsibilities don't seem all that important. It's a way of training ourselves to grow uh, in our stewardship. I think this is number six. Uh, Diligently work at our callings. Um. What are you called to do, boys and girls? You're called to be a student. and You need to work at that calling of yours. Your job right now is to study. Uh, do your math. Do your languages. Do your art. Do your science. Do everything that whatever discipline you've got before you this semester. Uh, you work at that. That is your primary calling. Uh, that's your job, essentially. Your job is to go to school. Your job is to study. And to be uh, productive in that, and we need to be diligent in it. Number seven, frugality, frugality, learning to uh, not be wasteful, but to exercise uh, good stewardship. Number eight, avoiding unnecessary suretyship. Uh, we talked about this. You always want to be very careful young people that you not sign uh, documents that make you obligated to pay for other people's debts. It's not a good idea. And, um, you want to be careful. I know you're not going to be in a position anytime real soon to do that, but maybe this will be a seed for future wisdom for you, uh, as, as a young adult, uh, that you be very careful, uh, what you agree to. Um, and, uh, you know, if a, if a friend wants you to sign on, you know, you just have to tell them, you know, brother, I'd be glad to help you, maybe even give if you're in need, but but don't sign anything that makes you obligated for that person's debts. It's probably a good idea, even within the family, uh, as well. And then finally, um, we should further the wealth and the estate of others as well as ourselves. You know one of the reasons we, we want to be productive, uh, one of the reasons we want to make profit, we want to uh, produce goods and services is not just for ourselves, but for our, for our neighbor. Um, the Eighth commandment is concerned about our neighbors. And uh, the, the more productive we are, uh, the greater blessing we can be for those around us. And we should uh, want to see our neighbors uh, prospering. Uh, I've always thought it strange. Uh, when, when people, you know, make arguments, uh, why do they? you know, I, I one time I, I remember, uh, we were at a B and B. I'll tell this story. We went to my cousin's wedding up in Massachusetts and, you know, Massachusetts, it's, you know, it's hardcore liberal up there. And so we're at this B and B and we're talking to the owner of the B and B and he is complaining about his neighbor, catty corner and the big addition that he's building onto his house there. He doesn't need all that space, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he goes off and my mom and I look at each other like, what a commie. You know, <laughs> and why would you complain about that? That's exactly what I want my neighbors to do. I want my neighbors to build big additions to their home. What happens to the value of my property when my neighbors are prospering? The value of my property goes up. The last thing I want to happen to my neighbor's property is for the value of their property to be going down. But you see, people get so consumed with, with selfishness and, and some kind of perverse envy that they don't realize they're, they're being envious to their own harm. And uh, so we should desire uh, that our neighbors do well. We want our neighbors, we want LaGrange to do well in, in every way. Now, first and foremost, we want that to be spiritual. Uh, but along with that, we want to be uh, doing well materially. Uh, as well, And I think that's one of the things that has come in the train uh, of of our culture. Uh, I think God has blessed us uh, above many nations with the Bible and with Christian forefathers. And because of that, uh, we've been blessed. Um, you know, you, you we we prosper economically without realizing it because so many Christian principles are at work and, and they're just presupposed in the way this culture works. We operate on very uh, Christian principles in many ways. Now I realize there's tons of sin in, in, in mixed in in our culture, but in order for a, a culture to prosper economically, there has to be a level, for example, of trust in dealings with one another. If you can't trust those that you're dealing with, um, that's going to hurt business. And and we, we what. One of the reasons I think we have succeeded in so many ways as a culture economically uh, is because of many of those uh, Christian principles, uh, such as the Eighth Commandment, that we should not defraud uh, one another. And uh, the trouble is, here's the problem, though, for our culture, and that is the the more we move away from God and the Bible, what we're doing is we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Economically in the long run. Right now, America is still running off its Christian capital of former generations. We're still living off of that capital and we're still producing by God's common grace. Um, we're, we're still uh, seeing companies produce uh, goods and services that are beneficial. I mean, aren't we all glad for Steve Jobs, right? Um, and, and we're thankful for that. But even Steve Jobs, who was no Christian, um, lived and operated uh, by Christian presuppositions without even his realizing it. Even the non-believer is stealing from the Christian worldview when they go about their business. And, but the problem in, that we're facing in our culture is that is being undermined. Uh, the more we move away from God, the more we rebel uh, from God and, and God's law, uh, what we're doing here is we're, it's like chopping down the very tree that's producing the fruit. And, and what our, our culture wants is the fruit and doesn't want the tree, but you can't have one without the other. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is, you know, maybe one of the apologetic arguments we need to be making uh, that, you know, if, if you're concerned about your material well-being, then you need to become a Christian. Uh, this is not to preach a health wealth gospel, uh, but it is to recognize that there are covenant blessings with uh, that come with, that come with evangelical obedience to God's commandments, including the eighth commandment. Amen. We uh, thank you.